I'm Tim Burrows. Last week, Commercial Radio and Audio held its Heard Conference in Sydney. It was the radio industry's chance to talk to agencies and advertisers about the opportunities in audio. I chaired a couple of panels, which you're about to follow. First, you'll hear a discussion on how to measure the ROI of audio advertising, including the question of whether marketers could find a bargain in brand advertising rather than the usual performance advertising that tends to dominate radio. And later, we'll discuss how agencies want to trade with audio players. Before we get into the conversation around um, that mix, we've got a bit of a scene setter, which um, comes from Paul Sinkinson, who's Managing Director of Analytic Partners, whose specialty is the ROI of marketing. So Paul's been with Analytic Partners for more than eight years, and before that he was Managing Partner at Enero's data science arm and also Enero's market research consultancy, The Leading Edge, before that. And he's also worked at Nielsen back in the day. Um, so, Paul, um, to sort of set the scene for us, over to you. Thanks. Well, um, now because we've been doing this for so long, um, we've seen a lot of studies, right? So we've got hundreds and hundreds of billions of marketing within our database that we've looked at across multiple countries, across multiple categories, and we're able to start figuring out some generalizable learnings. Um, and you know, some of that stuff lets us be able to deal with strategic questions, one of which I got asked, which was, why does radio often get a hard time in market mix models or econometric models? So we took a look at it, and I think there's a few things that were, were interesting. One of which you can see on screen, um, which is that brand messaging tends to outperform performance messaging. Now, I know a lot of people go, oh, well, what's performance messaging? Think of it as like price or, or product-based messaging uh, versus brand messaging. Now, there's a couple of reasons why we see that outperformance. Um, it was a little bit confronting for me at the start. My background was you know, kind of trade marketing. I thought brand was a little bit kumbaya sitting around on beanbags holding hands. Um, but it does outperform everything. Um, partly it's because we're so over-invested in you know, price messaging. Before we even get to advertising, think about how much gets spent on price discounting, right? Hundreds of billions of dollars. So if you think about everything being on a yield curve, way past that point of diminishing returns, brand messaging, a lot less invested in it. So it's on that steep part of the yield curve. It works pretty well. The other part, um, rather than just people love you know, like brand messaging, is you can be really efficient with it, right? Because you can keep it going for a long time. It's not relying on that price point still being the price that you sell it for. It's not relying on that limited time product still being available in market. So it gives you a lot of efficiency that's sitting there. Now, what do we see for a lot of radio ads, though? less brand advertising than in other channels and a lot more performance messaging. So if the very uh, message that you're putting on the network is something that only performs better than the brand message 20% of the time, you're up against it at the start, right, just because of that selection of the message. And the other one I kind of hinted on it is that brand message can hang around for a long time is consistency. Consistency is the unheralded superhero of efficiency. Just do it for longer. Even if you're doing it the the wrong thing, the longer that you keep doing that thing, the better it gets. You can see here, if you've got a campaign that runs for you know, less than 10 weeks, if you can double that up and do it for, say, 20 weeks, 34% higher ROI. Same ad, same platform, same strategy. If you can take it up to 30 weeks, 60% higher ROI. Same platform, once again. So consistency is really, really important. A lot of people worry about wear out. They're going to go, oh, look, you know, will my campaign wear out? Don't. The thing that you need to worry about is wear in. Have you shown it enough to be able to get an improved performance? And we've tested wear out. It's very, very, very rare because, as we well you know, with a lot of radio campaigns that we see, it runs for two to four weeks, and that's it. 
you never get that benefit. It's not running long enough to get the outsized ROI that you'd want to see a great performance. The other big one uh, that we have come through is um, Synergy. So you know, we know on average, as you add an extra media channel to a campaign, the ROI increases. A couple of reasons for it. One, you, know, you get a higher chance of incremental reach. If you're pouring all of your money into one channel, at some point you've reached everybody you're going to in that week and you're just driving frequency, which is a bad thing. Um, so if you then you know, start spending money in other channels, you've got a better chance of getting that incremental reach. Which, you know, let's be honest, with TV starting to decline in ratings, that's something that we want radio to, to be doing, right? Giving that incremental reach to the campaign. And the other part of it is synergy. Um, and it's that creative synergy that's a big part of it, right? You want somebody to have seen an ad, have that as back of mind. You know, they're, they're driving to the store to, to make a purchase, and just before they get in there and get assaulted with all those price messages, they hear that ad. All of that, you know, subconscious brand associations, um, category associations, come to front of mind and you've got somebody making a purchase on something other than the price, which gives you that, that bump. But what we see time and time again is um, a lack of that creative synergy. You know, sure, we see it between, say, TV and YouTube, right? Because you're using the same asset. You sometimes see it without a phone because at least you're using the end frame of the TVC. But that radio ad and the rest of the advertising, particularly the, the visual advertising, there's not a hook there. It's almost entirely separate. I mean, you know, McDonald's is a great example of it, right? You know, that mnemonic, you know, and everything comes flooding back just from that noise. But how many great audio assets are, uh, are there out there? Very, very few. Which leads to that other part of, you know, the importance of creative. Now, we know on video that um, two-thirds of the potential ROI comes from the creative itself. So we spend all of this time debating and analysing, you know, what duration, what network, what demographic, all these sorts of things. That drives one-third of it where there's all of the science and all this analysis, um, the rest of it's driven by, I like that one. The two thirds of the ROI is coming from it. Now, it gets even worse at some of those channels because you know, that brief comes to, to a creative and you know, it's this beautiful 60 second, maybe 30 second TVC that gets made. Out of home and radio is so often an afterthought. It's done after it rather than as part of that. So if we had that same focus in the creative, then you're gonna see those higher ROIs. Now, normally I'd be able to say to you, hey, look, you know, um, this is what the impact would be if you do those things. This is how much higher your ROI is going to be for your radio campaign. Unfortunately, we can't because there's so few people doing it. Um, I can't create the data points that haven't been there. But what we can do is get people to do it so that those data points will exist. And that's what we're actually going to be doing with CRA. Um, we've got a, a group of um, clients together that we work with on a, on a regular basis anyway, getting them to change the way that they execute their radio campaigns. And we're then going to measure those results to show to everybody that there's this unlocked potential um, in radio advertising. Um, and by overcoming some of those hopefully simple barriers, we can get much greater results. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Now, um, this is a good moment for me to invite our other panellists, Nathan James and Lauren Joyce, to come and join us on stage. And as they're making uh, their way in, let me uh, tell you about them. Uh, Nathan is marketing manager for the Gin and Innovation Portfolio at William Grant & Sons. Now, that includes Hendrix uh, and Nathan's Previous marketing roles have included uh, Campo Coffee, KFC, McDonald's, and Johnson & Johnson. And Lauren is a Chief Strategy and Connections Officer at Australian Radio Network. Lauren's been with ARN for nearly five years now and uh, previously led strategy and marketing at Mamma Mia. 
um, after coming into media via the agency world of Ensemble, UM, Total Advertising, and the legendary Bellamy Hayden. Um, so, um, well, well, welcome everybody onto the panel. And I, I, I think we'll dig into a couple of the points that Paula made, um, first of all. Um, um, Paula, I'll, I'll, you almost answered, or you came quite close to answering one of the kind of, sort of obvious questions to me, which was, does this potential effectiveness of brand versus performance create a buying opportunity? Um, but and I suppose the question I was asking myself, and I think you answered it already when you said that there isn't that much data, but I found myself wondering if suddenly everyone's doing brand, does that then cancel itself out? You know, is this, is this an opportunity to jump on now, do you think, or not at all? Um, I think it's an opportunity to jump on now. Um, I don't want to sound cynical, but um, I think with the short-term focus of most marketers, it's probably pretty safe that we won't find too much brand advertising, that the opportunity disappears. Um, I would love for that to be a thing, um, but there's just such chronic underinvestment, I, I don't see it happening. Well, Lauren, let's widen it to you. Why? Why is this? I think that um, there's a real impatience amongst marketers for results, and I think that that has come about with greater pressure on businesses to drive ROI. So, you know, the industry has almost done it to itself in the emergence of digital media and its inherent measurability. And there's a real addiction across brands and marketers to be able to demonstrate those results really quickly. So I think this level of impatience around seeing those results means that marketers aren't investing in brand for a longer term benefit. Um, and if you think back to, you know, 20, 30 years ago and that the types of longer-term brand marketing that brands did. You know, I think of brands from when I was a kid, like I can still recite the Pizza Hut phone number and I can't even tell you my husband's phone number <laughs> because, of the, because of the way it was written into the jingle. And I, I think that's the type of, you know, we talk about building emotion in brand, but actually it's the resonance that is important for the long-term benefit. And I think that you don't see that overnight and um, there's an impatience to, to see those results. So. Nathan, we're kind of sitting here implying that all marketers are very short-term and mm. not really interested in long-term brand building. Are we, uh, is that unfair? Yeah, I mean, I feel like a bit of a fish out of water, um, really, with these, with, with these comments. I mean, I represent a suite of portfolio premium brands. Um, and, and certainly, I think, um, you know, our mantra and the mantra for all marketers must be, you know, sales overnight because you live and die by your sales, but brand over time. And I think you need to have your mix adjusted in the right way consistently to build both. Um, and I think marketers change, change roles, and they're too quick to make sort of decisions and change the model, um, whereas a bit more consistency, I think, would be, um, would be a benefit. Um, also, I think you need buying from the C-suite for, for, for brand building. I mean, it is a, it is a wait and see game. Um, it, it won't happen. Um, overnight, um, but you need buy-in from the top. But if you have the mix right and you're doing the brand over time, sales overnight, so you're dressing both, I think that's the critical element. And when it, sticking with you, Nathan, when it comes to understanding that mix, getting what you need to make the right decisions, what do you want from your agency partners or with your media partners? Um, well, I mean, we, we have a ratio, and again, I, I represent premium brands. So ours is 70% brand and 30% uh, 
um, sort of promotional price-driven work, which that's why it surprised me, some of the data that you put up. Um, but again, that's just my, my experience. And I'm a brand marketer too, so you'd probably expect me to say that. Um, you know, I think, you know, a level of understanding from the media company about what needs to be achieved in the short term and the long term, I think, is really important. So, you know, we do have a budget to, to you know, get every year and that we don't shy away from that. But we also need to ensure that our brand health metrics continue to, to grow. So in my case, luxury brand, um, you know, brand that's a good quality is, you know, I'm proud to give as a gift, say, for example. So an eye on those metrics, I think, is really important as well as the, the, the budget um, as well from, from a media perspective. I oh. think it's about being super clear about the role of the channel as well. Like, a, a channel can do everything, but it doesn't necessarily have to. So if you're really clear that the role of radio is to drive brand, for example, then that can influence the type of creative that you put into it and therefore the way you're measuring the success and outcome of that channel. Um, I think too often we're, we're trying to force each channel that we put onto the plan to do all of the jobs and as a combination they should be, not necessarily as individual channels. And when you sit media owner side... How well placed are you to actually influence that conversation and the strategic decision? Or by the time that brief flows down to you, is, is, it, is that moment already gone? I would say that over the last kind of two years, we're having more conversations with marketers and um, that that allows you to, to have more of the influence. And if you are having a conversation earlier with the likes of analytics partners or, or their research partners, as well as the brands direct, then you can influence the role of the channel and have the opportunity to demonstrate what the channel can do for the media mix. I think we've also, in, in a session later today, you'll hear about this, we've also become more aware of the role of the channel in um, amplifying other channels. So how different combinations of channels can work together. Um, so I don't know, for a large majority of the briefs, I'd say you haven't got a huge amount of influence by the time it gets to the salesperson for them to put a proposal back together on what, what is going to be the best solution. The role's already been defined and you know it's really an executional kind of proposal you're giving back, but um, the stronger the relationship you can build earlier on, then um, the, the better the solution can be that you, you can give back to the client. Well, Paul, Lauren's just alluded to some of the work that analytics partners are doing. Do you want to maybe just, just talk about what you're thinking about with, with audio at the moment? Um, definitely. I mean, you know, we, we know reach is going down, right? Reach is getting hard to get. It's um, increasingly hard to get quality and speed um, of that reach at the same time. So where we see it is it's, it's adding into it. Um, I know, you know, the word omni-channel and omni-media has been thrown around for years um, and we're all, like, tired of it, but still I don't see it really being done. That, you know, we kind of think, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm doing a brand-building team uh, campaign, so I need video, rather than going, okay, cool, how do we support it across everything? I think that comes back to the creative idea as well, right? Like, it's still expressed within a medium or it's still expressed this way, or it's, this is the best way we could do that for audio, rather than going, oh, sorry, for, for um, a visual campaign, rather than this is the best way we could do it for the entire campaign, which sometimes means a slightly worse TV ad, but a better campaign across everything, because you're getting that creative synergy across all of the channels um, and being able to um, have it play through. You know, the idea of being able to throw out a Sunday evening ad um, on seven and nine, where you're hitting, you know, the, everybody watching the movie at home. That's that's gone. 
Um, so you need to be hitting it across multiple channels to be able to get it. And I think, you know, then to your point, it's how do you flex that um, and how do you support those different campaigns with different channels? And that's where I think radio still comes in with the reach. It's where Out of Home comes in with the reach, doing that heavy lifting broadcast job that we used to do purely with TV. And I think that, you know, we always thought of, oh, like our big broadcast uh, medium, invest a lot of time in it, um, you know, get great at the creative for it. We need to start doing that without a home and with radio as well, right? You know, like it used to be the way that you advertised. Um, you know, the very first TV ad was a radio ad, Bonneville Watches, right? Um, we need to go back to, to that skill set to be able to do it and, and drive um, the great campaign success through that reach. Lauren, does that potentially imply that, that for the audio industry, the way it sells or has conversations either with agencies or clients potentially changes to become far more about audio as part of a wider mix rather than purely the powers of the medium itself? Um, yeah, I think it does. I mean, my personal opinion of what the future of audio is going to look like is that I see your spots and dots advertising on a similar trajectory to which digital display has taken. And it will continue to play a performance role, a high reach, high volume role. And then you've got your premium layer of integrated, talent aligned, branded content um, that is going to do the heavy lifting around the emotional engagement and, um, you know, lending those, uh, I guess, more positive emotional scores to the brands that advertise within it. Um, Yes, so I, I think that that does change. I mean, largely from a media publisher's point of view, you adapt to how the market is, how your client is buying. And certainly within the last 12 months, we've seen agencies become, um, build a lot more capability around audio buying and understand the, I guess, the, the nature of all audio and the various different channels and how they fit together and can build an incremental audience and incremental impact. Um, as opposed to thinking about radio as old media, buying it in one silo, and then digital audio and buying it in another. And I think that's a positive thing, to, to Paul's point, about um, creating content or, or advertising that sits across all of those channels, because you need to think of it like a suite. I mean, you might have the same core concept, the same... Um, underlying music bed or, or audio cues, but it is going to have to be adapted to the environment, the audio environment that it lives in, whether that be a music stream, radio or, or a podcast. So, yes, absolutely, media, media owners have to adapt the way that they connect with their clients. I think there's Go one on. point around that as well, which is um, getting away from the fear of a low ROI, which mm. I think everybody still immediately sees like a low ROI for radio and gets defensive or freaks out. Um, and I, I, I kind of I understand it to an extent, but at the same time, um, like TV's never had the highest ROI. The thing with the most investment has never had the highest ROI. The thing with the highest ROI is underinvested. You don't want the highest ROI because it means you're getting less dollars. A client doesn't want the highest ROI because it means they're not driving as much total dollar profit um, as they can. I think you know audio overall, and particularly like broadcast radio, should have a low ROI, like out of home, like TV, because it's where there's a huge amount of investment and it's where you're driving, you know, it's the thing doing that heavy lifting for you, that's the foundation of your campaign. So, you know, your other low spend activity can leverage off it, have a high ROI, but not be driving anywhere near the scale of business um, that those foundations are. I can't not ask the question, which medium has got the highest ROI? <laughs> 
the one with the lowest investment. Um, you know, we're still kind of seeing a lot of the social channels, you know, the emerging social, um, come out with it. But that's small. Um, you know, if you put all of your money in it, what would happen? The ROIs would collapse um, straight away because the yield curves are very small in relation to something that can do the heavy lifting like audio. Cinema generally performs pretty well in a market mix model for exactly that reason. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we've, we've talked about a, a, a bit about experimentation. Now, Nathan, um, you ran an audio campaign for Hendrix um, via Eardrum. So let's have a little listen to that one. <laughs> You're refreshingly curious, Hendrix Jim? Curious? How? Allow me to explain. Hue the aroma. Hue the botanicals. Hue the taste. Hue the cumber. Oh, I see. For a refreshingly curious way to cue the first drink of summer, cue a Hendrix gin, oddly infused and garnished with cucumber. Cue the Hendrix. And always drink the unusual responsibly. Nathan, what did you learn by doing that campaign? Uh, well, I mean, it was a very successful campaign from, from our perspective. But, I mean, the reason why we did the campaign is we really wanted to own an occasion and a time of day. Um, and that occasion was the 5pm first drink of the evening. Um, so really that 3 to 6pm time, time slot was something that we really wanted to own. And naturally, audio is a great channel to kind of, to kind of do that. Um, you know, the second piece is, you know, the reason why we chose, chose audio was that there's lots of white space, frankly, for a premium brand, brand in audio. I'm in the alcohol category, and certainly there are not a lot of alcohol brands um, advertising in audio. And as a challenger brand, um, when share of voice is really important to us, I'm never going to outshout the competition in terms of dollars. So we started to look at sort of periphery channels that we could own um, in conjunction with the other channels um, to um, supplement uh, the campaign. Thirdly, you know, as I don't know how many of you know Hendrix, but um, we really felt like we had the brand that, that could live in audio. It's a very personality-driven brand with a strong tone of voice and, and, and a point of view. So um, we really felt like that if this was done in a premium way, we could, we could really deliver the brand world um, and refreshment, um, which is another um, category barrier with, within the channel. But of course, you know, we didn't have any um, creative um, available to us globally uh, to use in this space because, as I said, premium brands don't really use audio. So we're really committed to investing in the right creative and really match the creative with the outer home and made as impactful as we could. Um, and the importance of investing in the right creative, you know, ensuring the DBAs are are, um, are there is, is, is critical and it was really successful. You know, we had our, our biggest uh, festive sales period in two years. Brand health metrics are looking strong um, in the way of luxury, quality, so there's been no denigration in those. And that campaign has been exported globally to other um, William Grant markets across the world. So um, it can be done. Um, and I, I guess this is a prime example of that. Lauren, let me ask you to sort of react to that and maybe sort of reflect on um, the role of challenger brands versus kind of marketplace number one brands in that sort of experiment? Mm. I think that, um, I mean, audio, because of the speed at which you can get to air, also allows you to experiment a lot and um, update the creative quickly, react to, you know, real-time events and whatnot. I think the, the mix of challenger brands versus kind of mainstream brands is it, it, they 
I would say that you've got more kind of mainstream brands playing in radio because they're doing the heavy lifting job, you know, that they're using radio for that really high volume um, reach driving activity. But then when the challenger brands come in, they, you know, have so much fun with it and they're the ones that really take advantage of uh, the integration opportunities, the various formats that you can use and thinking about how you extend the, the listening experience into real life. I think that um, they're, they're much more creative because they're open to thinking about, well, how is this audience going to respond to, you know, the content that I'm putting out there? Um, there's certainly an opportunity for, I think, all brands to take on the advice that, that Paul's talked about and being more consistent and thinking about the importance of an audio logo. So even if you are just starting out, think about, well, how do I develop some distinct assets that can surface in any channel that uses audio? So that might be, you know, radio, podcasts or whatnot, but then also screens and how that audio sonic kind of, um, or logo, I should say, carries across those channels because that over time is what is going to make each of those channels work a lot harder. Um, and that's where I think you, you could get to the point where your retailer performance messaging is doing a brand job for you. Um, and, and I would argue that McDonald's, you know, they may have a, a price and point, uh, uh, sorry, a, a price and product based uh, ad, but it's actually doing a brand job for them every time it's on air because they've done such a good job of being consistent about their, their audio logo over time. Paul, in the minute or so we have left, um, takeaways for anyone who's trying to think, okay, where do I start? Because not everybody can afford, you know, not everybody have, have, have the budgets to do big studies. How do you, how do you start by learning something? Um, it's literally just experiments, so, you know, making sure you're designing things, which can be done, you know, very, very cheap, um, to, to be able to go out, try it, and see what the results um, come out in a, in a controlled experiment. I think it's being bold. It's, it's stretching things out and trying things that are different, not doing the same thing that everybody else is doing, the same thing every time. Um, it's being idea and strategy-led still, right, rather than doing it from a media executional perspective. So thinking, you know, what is it that we want to do and how can we then do this with an audio rather than, hey, we're going to do audio. How do we do this? Um, I think that's the play. And then get into it for the long game. I think that... Um, you know, there's, there's so much demand on marketers to deliver results in the short term because marketers aren't showing that they can do results in the long term, um, which means that then they have to deliver now. I think that, you know, the measurement's available for, from everybody to be able to do it. You know, if you're thinking that by driving awareness you're helping the business, it, it's a joke. Um, that's somewhere in the middle, you know, understand what something is and then stick with that measure because... And if your consideration is 70% somebody else is 50, like who cares? It's about that pattern, right? You should be getting things better as, as time goes on. So just stick with a measure, stay with it consistently, pick a campaign and stick with it consistently. Um, you know, I did one of these panels with Liz, um, and he said, look, I'd prefer a bad ad showed lots rather than a great ad showed once. So even if you think the creative stinks, stay with it for 30 weeks and get that 60% higher ROI. I'm a bit depressed that our final thought for, uh, for this panel <laughs> is exactly that one. Now, uh, I'm, I'll be staying on stage to, to moderate our next panel as well. But for now, please thank our panel, Paul, Nathan and Lauren. Thank you. Thank you. That was the first part of our special recap from last week's commercial radio and audio heard conference discussing the ROI of audio. 
I stayed on stage and the conversation rolled on with another panel onto the question of how the agency world would like to do business with audio companies. First up, Vanessa Hunt has been both sides of the fence. Now, Vanessa is currently Director of Commercial Strategy and Growth at ARN. She also spent five years with Group M and before that led mobile strategy at Yahoo 7 back when that was a thing. And as I was writing that note, I wasn't sure when I said back when that was a thing, whether I meant Yahoo 7 or mobile strategies. So you'll have to decide for yourself about that. Next along, Ollie Newton is Executive Head for Listener commercial at SCA. He joined last year. Before that, spent more than 15 years in out of home, leading sales for JC Deco. Yeah. Next along, Nicole Bentz is Chief Commercial Officer at Nova. She returned to Nova last year after five years with Seven West Media. And earlier in her career, she was also Sales and Strategy Director at News Corp. And Ash Earnshaw is Director of Sales for Total audio, although well, I always feel like it should be total audio uh, for some reason. Whenever I see Good that. job, total. <laughs> now, like Ness, Ash has been agency side, including as CEO at Visium and as chief investment officer for what is now known as Dentsu, along with Mediacom. Now, I guess we're talking about people in this one. And in this case, we're really talking about, uh, about what media agencies and, and, and I guess by, by the logic the advertisers want. So we're, we're, we're trying to get to that point of um, what an agency planner buyer is looking for in audio nirvana. Um, you know, how, does, how do you have an informed conversation? What are the questions that you get asked? Um, how that planning conversation goes at the moment um, and how those decisions change from other channels. So I think we will start with the ex-agency execs. Now, Ness, you're nearest to me, so I might come to you. <laughs> I feel like this is a dangerous seat nearest to you. If I'm <laughs> well, it is, and I, and I promise it won't be like tennis where we go back and forth <laughs> along the panel all, um, all morning as well. But yeah, um, Ness, let's, let's drill into it. What, what do your partners want? If I, if I think about... What's, I'll start with what's wrong. That's very not like me. I'll start with what's wrong and then go to what's right. I think the media industry in general, the advertising industry, is really complicated. We don't have three television stations and two radio stations anymore. It's really complex and it's really fragmented. And a standard media buyer has a million decisions to make, not three like they used to. So the first is what does Nirvana look like is really taking a minute to understand and appreciate the complexity that a media planner buyer now has in an agency in comparison to even 15 years ago where it was much simpler. Yeah. Um, and so Nirvana for me looks like somebody that actually has curiosity and that understands a little bit more around behavioural psychology. And I know that sounds terrifying for all the right reasons, but understanding why a consumer is doing something, understanding why they're going to change their mind, make a decision, hear your product, whatever it might be, is actually the most important bit in advertising now, far more than the end point because it's so complicated. So um, we're going to talk a lot around digital and broadcast and what that looks like and the mixture between the two, but there is an incredibly big difference between why you would put something on the plan. And so if I think about what Nirvana looks like as a media planner buyer, it's understanding the reasons why things are on the plan got a very complicated way to get to a very simple point, but I think we've missed that a lot in the industry lately where we tend to plan like we used to when it was very, very simple 
ecosystem. Ash, your ex-agency as well. Do you recognise that point about curiosity? Landscape has accelerated massively in audio uh, in a really good way. So I think things have changed for the better. I think um, you spoke about kind of Nirvana. I think some of the conversations we're having, I think first thing, um, many of the agencies have been going out to market with their, um, their new kind of planning frameworks and stuff. And I think everyone is absolutely set to embrace some of the things you're hearing today. I think for me with audio, I think for our team certainly, and some, some of our teams are here today, I think it really starts in the briefing stage. Like, what are the insights in the brief? Um, you know, it, it's beyond demographics and a really clear objective. And I think the people um, in the market who are doing it best are, are, are convergent in their thinking. Because I think now it's difficult. You've got to walk and chew gum. But there's, there's an awful lot to think about uh, when it comes to cross-platform, cross but also audio. I do think um, those people in the market, and we saw some wonderful stats from Paul and the team just now, those that are doing it best are really thinking in an audience-centric way. Like, where is, where is um, content being consumed? Um, where are audiences? Where's the opportunity? And I think it's well established, and hopefully some of you will come away realizing today, there's a huge gap between the audiences across all our platforms um, and, and the place that we have in a brand's media mix. So I think that's, that's interesting. I think when you go into audio, I think audience isn't everything, right? So, you've, you know, we have to look at the opportunity. Those that are doing it best, and Nirvana in agencies really is... Um, not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So Lauren spoke before about uh, the wonderful world of radio. So many of the brands in here really embrace what radio does well, integrating into our platforms, into the, whether it's the premium we've got, the sport. But I think increasingly, Nirvana really is um, having a look at the, both the audiences and the product sets that sit within our digital stream radio and our podcasts. And I think what has happened, um, certainly since I've been out of agencies, has been a massive shift in terms of both consumption but also some of the wonderful things that you can do with digital stream radio and podcasting, which really makes radio a full, a full funnel, I can't say it, full funnel solution, right? So I think that's the important bit. I think within that as well, um, sweating it out, like put our money where our mouth is and asking some of us about what we can do from an impact perspective. And many of us have got solutions around that. We work with Near, for example, from a location perspective. We can map the investment in streaming into going in store or, you know, or, or, or purchase it at the till. And there's many solutions. So I think that full funnel approach is Nirvana for me. Um, I, would, I would say that's not the, the consistent norm in the industry. You probably hear from everyone today going, that's where we want to get to. I think we can get there really quickly, but we're not there yet. Nicole, trading Nirvana, how does it look? Um, look, I personally have a little bit of an issue with the word Nirvana because having it's a great um, band, though. Yeah. spent time in total <laughs> video, um, everybody asked for Nirvana. It took five years and it was a really frustrating experience, I think, for both the buy and the sell side. So, you know, I think fundamentally audio has got growth. I think, I mean, you talked about it, like podcasting is an amazing opportunity to bring new people into the ecosystem that probably will and never have listened to radio. You know, the unique voices, the diversity of content, all of that stuff is amazing. Streaming makes it borderless. Um, you know, I'm, I've been fascinated just looking at our own stuff. I'm sure, you know, the guys are the same. Like the, the growth in regional audiences without necessarily having a regional network is, is pretty cool. Um, but I think the question is, do we want to progress or do we want to be perfect? Yeah. And I think, you know, nested at the curiosity, the leaning in, 10 out of 10 for everyone who's here today. Like I think, you know, we are in a really interesting time where we've got fundamentally what people want, audience growth. Now we just got to work out how do we, you know, support particularly the agencies and clients in leveraging our first party data, working with panel data, working with what we've got to try and unpick something that shouldn't be complex. I loved Ford's comment where he said that um, technology is pulling consumers in, not pushing them away, which is unique to us. Yep. So let's not let 
perfection get in the way of progress? Well, Ollie, we will look at the non-perfection real world in a moment. <laughs> First of all... Just, just one pick-up. Ashley, did you say the briefing process has improved since you left agencies? <laughs> it's changed. <laughs> okay, so I should say it. Not um, associated. <laughs> I feel like I need to move back a little bit. <laughs> right, <laughs> Um, no, I, th I think the, the point like Vanessa made, there's, there's a huge amount of fragmentation going on. Um, agencies are incredibly time poor. You know, there's a perception that you have a, you know, a yearly upfront, but the reality is that that's not going to work because the technology available is changing all the time. And for, for me, Nirvana is an agency going, okay, this is, this is the data we've got. This is the data our advertisers got. This is what they're looking for. And actually, it's building a full funnel response, anything from awareness. If anyone's doing bingo and has funnel, you're winning already. <laughs> full funnel. Full it said funnel. four times. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Surprised. So I think, I think the point is that it's, it, it's a real balancing act, you know, the word perfection, because the reality is that we're all building really smart, sleek tech products and it's, it's a really tough job trying to get in front of an agency and really push those because, you know, a really key call out is that the audience in radio isn't declining. It, podcasting and streaming is going on top of that. And I think there's this natural perception that, TV, that because the TV audience is declining, that people automatically assume radio is as well. And it's a, it's a massive job to do to, to keep pushing that and going, OK, someone's got a brief. How does that all layer up from a branding point of view? You know, you go traditional with, with, with an audio kind of radio, and then it's like, what does streaming do on top, and what does podcasting do on top of that? Well, Ali, I'll stick with you for a moment. As Nicole's alluded to, we, we haven't achieved perfection yet. Um, and ask everybody to give a mark out of 10 for where we are. <laughs> um, and also tell me... Um, we as a yeah. whole industry? Yeah. Yes. I'm a six. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it varies. I see some briefs that I think are awesome, um, and I see some briefs where I go, that's a really time point. Well, I'm going I'm to ask for examples of the good and the bad, but I'm also going to push you to give me a mark out of ten overall. Six and a half. Six and a half out of yeah. ten. Okay. Example of what's going well, example of what needs to be done better. What's going well, I think all of the agency kind of annual partnership conversations are all asking for help. They're all asking for a roadmap. They're all asking for what does you know what is the data um, opportunity, um, and they're all asking us to educate the teams. I think that's great, um, but I also think back to Ness's point that um, if we if we confuse the market too much with the capability, then um, we're probably going to trip over ourselves. Um, so I think. It's a real fine line in terms of kind of pushing what the next 12 to 18 months look like for digital audio. Um, but also, I think we, we, we've got to make sure everyone fully understands those basic principles of what's going on from an audience point of view. Mm. Nicole, going to push you for a number. Um, I, and genuinely, I mean it, like, thank you to everyone who's made the time and effort today because, uh, like, 10 out of 10 for the leaning in and curiosity, you know, I really mean that. Um, I think, much like Ollie, probably in the sixes as far as where we're actually at right now. And I think a lot of that is because we are asking people to do things different. And I think no one sitting on this stage is under any illusion how time poor both the buy and the sell side is. And I think, you know, through the, through the next season, the like ongoing sort of sentiment around, um, you know, we're asking more of our people to step out of the rinse and repeat behaviour, to try new things, to get curious. But, um, you know, there's the reality of how much time mm. there is to do that on both sides. Um, so I think, you know, the, as I said, genuine curiosity, yes. Okay. Where have we seen the most progress? Still to you, Nicole. Um, I think for us, we are definitely just starting to see 
more acceptance of our data to be able to show how we can optimise audiences. Um, you know, we've, we've just worked with an FMCG client. Um, we've just expanded them into Coles Radio. You know, it's 30 plus percent incremental reach for no more money. So, you know, that's not necessarily having a gold standard third party verified measurement system to be able to talk to that. But we've got footfall traffic. We've got attribution data from Coles. It's high quality data, but it doesn't fit in a box. Ness, marks out of 10, please. Oh, I was joking about a six before, but now I feel like I should say six because everything else is set of six. <laughs> yeah, the safe place to say when they say out of 10 is seven because it means fuck all. Um, but uh, so seven uh, is where we're at as an industry. But I think if we're looking at what's done right and um, still needs improvement, um, what's done right, I think, is, is the shift to people understanding that audio or the, the um, additional audio or incremental opportunity on the plan. You know, the guys have, have mentioned it a few times before, but we're not having a digital migration. Um, we're having a completely incremental new audiences, new listening experiences. Whereas in other mediums, whether that be television migrating into a BVOD scenario or whether that be digital uh, out of home moving into you had a static billboard before you know, now you've got a digital one, we don't have that problem in audio. The radio audiences are increasing as well as incremental audiences. And I think that's starting to shift and change. You know, alluding to some of the agency conversation we've had already, our completely video-obsessed inventory, uh, industry, sorry, is now starting to go, oh, hang on a minute. Mm. That's getting really expensive to do. And inflation in social is insane. It's sitting at around about 35 to 40% in inflation for a biddable media, which I just think is... You control your own inflation and you're still choosing to do that is, is insane. Um, and so people are going, how am I going to consistently and, st- and stably grow my brand without having these huge inflations of 25% on television and 45% social? Mm. Um, and so I think the conversation is being forced to change. Um, so that's nice to see. Would, that sounds negative, but it's actually a positive. It's nice to see the change. I think where we still have um, differences is we talk about digital being like incremental reach um, and that's just a habit. It's a bad habit that we've, uh, we've in, 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 I guess, got from other mediums um, where it's not really about incremental reach. That can be part of the reason that you buy it. Um, but back onto that mindset, what are people doing differently? Like, I don't know about you guys, but the way that I listen to the radio in the car in the morning is very different to why I listen to a podcast on a walk or it might be a, a streaming music playlist at the gym. <laughs> Let's be honest, I don't go to the gym. Um, <laughs> Maybe when I'm angry or something else when I'm listening to some, some pretty um, hardcore rock. They're all very different reasons. And for a brand to show up in those areas are really, really different. And I think what we've still got to do as an industry is understand those differences rather than going, you know, 30% of my audience has now moved to digital. So I'll split my $10 and go 7 and 3 It should be my $10 stays where I was because the audience isn't decreasing and I'm going to go and do something different with my yeah. other money. And I think to add to that, yeah. sorry, Tim, I think... I don't know how you feel, Ness, but I just feel like digital audio, it's like not all digital audio is equal. No, no. And I do think we are in a world at the minute right now where it's sort of everyone is putting it into a digital audio bucket. That's yeah. a really good point. I think, yeah, the, yeah. the point you make, Nicole, and the point you make, Vanessa, about, you know, the, the, the nature of listening to a podcast is a different experience. We'll Absolutely. come back to that in a second because I just want to bring Ash back in first and then we'll come back to that. going to make me score. Yeah, give me a score. Well, I, I'm an eternal optimist, so whatever anyone said, I'm going to add a one to it. So I think, I think we're, we're probably better than we are. I think what I find insightful at the moment... Where's the number? What I find insightful is the gap between... Probably an eight. He hasn't given me Eight. I think at the moment what's interesting is the gap between the capability that exists in this room 
and the, probably the perception in market. And what I find brilliant about today is, uh, to Nicole's point, is there's real leaning from the market, and we do feel that. So, you know, some of the biggest the biggest conversations we had with partners um, across earlier in the year, um, most of those partners are really interested, certainly in the holdcos, in elevating their digital product suite, leaning in on programmatic, and understanding um, what the opportunities are in audio. So I think. I think at the moment it's about bridging um, that gap between the, the opportunity that exists um, across all businesses and obviously nine, but I think within that, um, working with the market to kind of level up. I do think also um, that we are at the stage now that BVOD was at probably in about 2018. Yeah. Um, the product suite is there for us all. With a much uh, better ad experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and people, <laughs> obviously people like Nicole coming over into the industry. Um, to kind of give us that insight around it. But from a nine perspective, uh, when, when BVOD really took off, um, the ability, obviously, to target with data, um, to demonstrate the incremental reach. We haven't spoken about Radio 360, but I think it's an absolute game changer for us all. What made BVOD uh, wonderful was the simple um, observation around incremental reach. Now with Radio 360, we can all understand those that are consuming um, live radio and digital audio, but also the, both the incremental opportunity um, but then the targeting opportunity in terms of scale. So I do think this year um, there's a massive opportunity. And I think within that, where we've got to grow from the sixes and the sevens is probably around automation and bringing together all this audience capability and making it easy for everyone in this room to buy. Mm. Excellent. Thank you. He didn't give a number. No. He did. He gave um, himself eight. Is eight. Gave eight. himself an eight. Eight. <laughs> gave himself. Yeah. Someone gets to be the optimist, don't they? <laughs> uh, Nicole, let's build up on that previous point a bit. The 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 difference in how one, from a planning perspective or a trading perspective, thinks about, let's call it traditional broadcast versus streaming versus podcasting, quite, quite really quite different buckets, for want of yeah. a better word. Um, how would you like the industry or how would you urge the industry to think about it? Um, look, there's lots, but I mean, everyone will have a point on this, but I think, you know, tapping into Ness's behavioural piece. Um, I often get asked a lot around whether an ad played in Fitzy Whipper and Kate in the morning on a traditional linear clock radio, if anyone still has those, has as much impact on the person listening to it as if they got out of bed, walked downstairs and said, hello, Google, play me 969 and heard the same ad. Mm. <laughs> and um, I, I'm not even going to answer that because I think we can all sort of sit there and say, you know, yes, it is the same content, listen to it at the same time. Um, it's the same environment. If you love radio and you, be, you know, buy live and local, you buy talent, all those sorts of things, then the device doesn't necessarily matter. Um, I think, again, to Nessa's point, you know, I had a conversation this week where, um, you know, we were sort of talking about the quality of inventory and, you know, like obviously insert X social media platform on mobile has a really low attention score. Yeah, audio is the same. And I'm like, well, it's actually not. Like if you're walking around the park listening to a podcast that's solving a problem for you, you are more leaned in and intimate on that experience. But I do think there's, you know, again, sorry, Ness, I'm pulling on you, but I think there's just a lot of assumptions we're making based on what we've learned in other channels. And I really think we've got to, we've got to you know, the, the true definition of curiosity, right, is kind of being really open-minded. Um, and I think that's what we've sort of got to do in that space. Yeah, can I, if I can just build on that, I mean, the, the point we're trying to make is, like, no one buys the pair of Nikes at the same time, right? Some people buy them when they hear it on the radio. Some people buy it when they're listening to a podcast talking about trail running. Some people buy it when they're streaming music, listening to it that way. And 
we've got to get to a point as an industry where we're giving confidence that we can help advertisers become more efficient in that point. Right. And go that like it, that's that's the next frontier is to go working with people in their customer data platforms to understand how we can keep building that efficiency and showing that different people react to different ads at different times. I would I would add a really easy way or a really practical way to think about on the plan. So we can sit up here and talk about all of the great things that we should be doing, but a really practical thing to do is take a brief that you have or a product that you're selling, depending on which side that you're sitting on, and graph it out. Graph it out and go, what do I want out of this? Brand and performance, and I want to speak to one-to-one, and I want to speak to one-to-many, right? And then even within that graph, you would have 50 audio products that fit into different quadrants, you know, to go, okay, I want, I'll give you an example of a car company. Let's use Ford, and this is not a real example. This is just an example to demonstrate the point. If there's a new Mustang coming, right, you want to speak in a broadcast environment where you want to tell as many people as possible, and you probably want to do a brand job. So you'd be in that quadrant, right? You'd go, okay, well, what sits in that quadrant? And then as you go through your media objectives, you'll end up at some point asking for a test drive, right? Or you want someone to go into a car lot, in which case you're in the bottom box. You're in that one-to-one using data, using the ability to be able to target more efficiently, and you want an outcome, so in that performance space, right? So if you think they're the two extremes in one client, they're completely different audio products you would use for each of those. You know, you might use a radio product for that broadcast one uh, to to many or that, you know, brand um, environment. And then you might use a podcast one-to-one in the earphones. You might use sequential targeting depending on, you know, the data capability that you have. And you've come down to actually go, okay, now I can speak to them in a different way. And so I think the simplest and most, like, practical thing you can do is analyse the plan that you have to go, have I put the quadrants in the right spot? Or have I just gone, mm. I use radio for that, I'll use digital for that too and just yeah. do a reach extension? Because if you have, you've got it in the wrong quadrant. Mm. Something I want to quickly pick up on, Ash. Um, you made um, a point earlier that one of the benefits for video has been Bevo gave so much more data. Um, the parallels of BVOD, though, because it, it feels like the audience path in digital audio is quite different to what's happened in BVOD, why? It is, I mean, the, I think BVOD, I have to tread very carefully when I discuss BVOD. Ask the, ask the guy. But I think <laughs> from a BVOD perspective, um, I'll have a go. Obviously, yeah, yeah. The, obviously the owned apps for all the major networks. So everyone was, everyone was logged in and viewing, or most were logged in early days, um, logged in and viewing on those platforms. So the incremental benefit was really clear and it wasn't obviously part of the um, Austin measurement. If you contrast that with, with audio, Clearly, from a measurement perspective, we didn't have as clear insight back then. And I think, you know, one of the questions we get asked is about, you know, what, why we're why we, why we not at the scale that the BVODs are. I think the simple answer to that was we, we needed to um, do better in measurement. And I think, you know, from a CRI perspective with GFK, uh, we've done that. So you look at what's happened with Radio 360, that creates the conditions that BVOD had where we can show that incrementality. Similarly, back in um, the early 2010s, gosh, you know, it was pretty, pretty fundamental and simple to replace your TV set. Low cost of entry, people watching TV. From an audio perspective, you think about the um, switching of cars, the proliferation of technology, that technology was slow to develop, but has ramped through COVID. And I think there's more to come with that. If we look at the um, amount of connected devices in houses in Australia, it's ramping massively, but it's still behind the US. So, you know, again, audio audiences are growing. They will continue to grow because there's more listening occasions. I think... Um, from a BVOD perspective, it was different back then. Um, but I think now, because we've got conditions in measurement, because the product suite is there, 
Um, I think it's a game changer in terms of um, data-led targeting in streaming. Yeah. I think for, you know, have a look at the audiences. They're absolutely huge across all our networks and in podcasting. Um, and at nine, um, I'm always astounded by the pace of change in terms of our product suite. So, you know, a year ago, we can't do what we do now. Even six months ago, whether it's programmatically, being able to buy um, our digital audio um, uh, from, from programmatically, that's, that's shifted. Now we can do that. And that's across podcasting and streaming. So products like, uh, we have a product called AP Plus. That's a data-led product now across all audio and podcasting. It's giving the scale um, that brands say they want, but also it's giving that data piece. Can I just go back to the scoring side of things? Because I did, I did give an eight before. Only have he's, five he's pushing minutes. it to that a nine. One point that for the, well, for the group to build on then. Yeah. I think we've done a really good job in... Um, Radio and digital at some level being on the media plan. You look at all our customer account. Mm. I think the challenge is the muscle memory around Spotify. Because the, the opportunity is, I think, those larger budgets going to Spotify, I think that's the six. Well, let's, you know, and I, think, um, you know, let's, I think that's the opportunity. I, I want to bring in a few of the other panel as well. Let, Ash, let me, um, let me pause you for one moment. And Ollie, let me bring you in on the Spotify point. Um, yeah, I mean... How does the industry <laughs> think about Spotify? From the guy or that used to work at Amazon. This is so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> the, the reality is, I mean, everyone, when they're listening to their favourite kind of playlist on a weekend, like, hands up in the room, I'm not going to embarrass anyone's listening to the ads. Like, they're not. You only ever have a party once and listen to the ads. Yeah, so, and there's a, there's a huge grey area on the audience numbers, right? So I, I think... The difference between users versus addressable audience yeah. advertising address. And, and it's a massive area. And, and from, a, from a listener point of view, you, you cannot buy Hamish and Andy from, from Spotify. But I don't think Spotify is telling the market that. Mm. But I think it, it's just, it's the revenue versus the listening too, right? So... I think first mover advantage, muscle memory, all those things you said, um, they've definitely captured the market. And I think if we're all to sit there and go, what is it they've got? They've got data, they've got scale. But I mm. think, you know, in the conversations I'm having in market at the moment, the targeting campaigns are not delivering. Yeah. The scale is not there. Um, they're getting 80 cents in every dollar and yet they've got 40, 45% of the listening. This is in streaming I'm talking about. So, you know, I think... As Ash said, we're all growing our data. You know, we're all growing our products now. We've, we've, we're, we're, we're past the toddler stage. I think we're uh, definitely in the teenager, yeah. young adult stage now. And I think, you know, we can compete, but I think we are in that rinse and repeat behaviour. Mm. Um, and that's up to us. You know, we've, we've, we've got to do a better job. Okay, last question for everybody on the panel. Ness, I'm going to start with you. What's I'm next? going to take exactly three minutes so no one else can say anything. <laughs> what, what's next and where does the conversation go from here? What's next? I think... I mean, I'm really, really hoping that everybody goes and has a look at their plan. <laughs> That's what I'm really, really hoping is, is the one thing that happens next, as in right now. Um, but what I think happens over the next 12 months is that we, as an industry, start to talk differently about all audio. Um, I think we have incredibly, all have incredibly healthy broadcast businesses. And I, this, is, this is something I'm really trying to make very clear we were in a place where we defended that. We defended the broadcast business and we kind of went, oh, that radio thing over there, don't look too shiny. And we let Spotify run away with the digital arm um, really 10 years ago. Um, and we're not that companies anymore. And I think the myths around the companies and the progression, the product suite that Ash talked to, you know, all of that capability, we need to shout it from the rooftops so that people understand um, that we're not the businesses we used to be and that we all uh, have much more uh, ability and capability in a very modern media world. Ollie, same question to you. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'm going to say something slightly controversial. I, personally, I don't really care about the digital market share performance of listener within the CRA because the reality is that 
that it's got the capability to grow the overall pie. And in order to do that, we've got to plot a very clear roadmap in terms of how we open up the tech capability to, to, to take those bigger budgets from Spotify and from other areas of the digital ecosystem. And do you think that means acting as an industry as a whole or as individual I, I think it's a bit of both. I, I think we've got to compete. I think we've got to bring out products that we know are going to push each business to open ourselves up to new revenue streams. I think the UID is a great initiative, but I don't think that's enough. I think everyone's got to come up with a very clear strategy of how to grow the overall pie. Nicole, what's next? Um, yeah, look, I'm similar. I think, you know, radio investment sat at whatever it is, sort of 8% for a long time. Um, I think we're all guilty on this stage, some more than others, of investing a lot of money in growing audiences and not valuing them, giving them away for free. Um, you know, I think we should all be very grateful that our medium continues to grow audiences and I think we should be focused, as Ollie said, on the bigger pie and not so much about, you know, the CRA share but thinking yep. about the greater opportunity for all of us to grow our businesses and help everyone in the room, you know, really unlock the full value of what it is that I think Total Audio can do. Ash, you get the final word. Yeah, I think, I mean, if we look back 10 years ago, it was an interesting analogy about the, the clock by your bed, but uh, 10 years ago... Uh, from a radio perspective, we, we listened on um, an analogue device. And I think in 10 years' time, um, and potentially sooner, most listening will be digital. Mm. So if you think about where we're heading, we are, we are ramping up at significant pace around the digital ecosystem. Uh, and I think within that, um, you know, brand, the brands that we've got will continue to evolve in terms of our data, data play. I think audiences will continue to listen to audio. Uh, we've spoken about Spotify, but again, one thing I know to be true, whether it's across radio or live stream, or indeed in podcast, um, is a human truth that everyone wants to connect with hosts and the role they play in their lives. And, and music won't change that. So I That's think- an excellent point to end on. And that is where we're going to have to end it. <laughs> Please, oh, thank Vanessa, Ollie, Nicole, and Ash. Thank you. Uh, really? well done. <laughs> My thanks go to the Herd panellists for those two conversations and to commercial radio and audio for the invitation. Editing was by Abe's Audio. I'm Tim Burrows. More soon. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.